Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to the latest teaching class from the Thames Valley Churches of Christ. Today, we're looking at Mark chapter 13 in our series on the Gospel of Mark, January and February 2022. And the idea of these classes is not to teach everything in Mark 13, but to provide some background and context so that we can have stimulating, hopefully helpful, spiritual, uplifting conversations in our local groups, our locations, our family groups, or whatever small group you're part of. So that is the idea. Now, Mark 13, hold on to your hats. We're going to get into some pretty groovy stuff here. So let's have a, an overview of the chapter and then we'll dig into some ideas. I'll explain a few things, offer a few questions to think about, and then leave you with God and with one another to fathom what it might mean for you personally and for your local group. So in Mark chapter 13, we have Jesus leaving the, t the temple and one of the disciples says, look, massive stones, magnificent buildings. And Jesus says, what about the, all, all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everything's going to be thrown down. Then he's sitting later on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple and four of his disciples, Peter, James, John and Andrew, ask him privately, when will this happen? What will be the signs? So he says, watch out. No one deceives you. Many will come saying, I am he. They'll deceive many. You'll hear wars, rumors of wars. Don't be alarmed. Such things must happen. The end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, famines. These are the beginning of the birth pains. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to local councils, flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you'll stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Some challenging situations there, but also some, some vision. The gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you're arrested, brought to trial, don't worry beforehand what to say, whatever given, uh, just say whatever's given to you at the time. Uh, it won't be you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother, brother to death, father his child. Children will bell against parents, have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it doesn't belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Go, don't go back to the, uh, in the field. Uh, if you're in the fields, don't go back to get your cloak. It'll be dreadful in those days of pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray this doesn't play, take place in winter. Those days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now, never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. For the sake of elect, he has shortened them. If someone says, look, there's the Messiah. Look, there he is. Don't believe it. False messiahs, false prophets will appear and they'll deceive, even if possible, the elect. Be on your guard. Verse 23. I've told you everything ahead of time. In other words, everything you need to know. In those days... Following that distress, sun will be dark and moon won't give its night. Stars will fall from the sky, heavenly bodies shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. He'll send his angels, gather his elect from the four winds and the ends of the earth, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender, the, the leaves come out. You know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at your door. I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth, they'll pass away. My words never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, not the Son, only the Father. 
Be on your guard. Be alert. You don't know when that time will come. It's like a man going away, leaving his house, putting his servants in charge. They got their assigned tasks, tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. There's a clear thread which we'll talk about in a moment. I wonder if you picked it up as I read through that passage. We'll, we'll talk about that thread in just a moment. So this chapter, along with the parallels in Luke 21 and Matthew 24, if you want to look them up, might have generated more books, more articles and more YouTube videos than any other part of the Gospels. And there are many different ways to understand the details of this chapter. So I'll be cautious about laying down a definitive interpretation here. And passages like this can be useful in more than one way. Not only do they have great material for us uh, specifically, but they remind us of the principles of interpreting tricky passages. And let's use this chapter briefly today to remind ourselves of some of the ways to handle tricky passages in the scriptures, which we need to learn how to handle well. Can't stay away from all the tricky passages. That's not going to be good for us spiritually. There's so much spiritual wealth in those passages as well. But we need to understand certain principles about the best way to approach those passages so that we can hopefully not be uh, mistaken on major issues. So here's a few thoughts. Firstly, consider this. These teachings in Mark 13 meant something to the people who heard them. Now, whilst some parts of the scripture here clearly talk about events in the more distant future, everything that Jesus said to his followers had to be meaningful to them. One of the questions to ask a text before asking what it means to you is to ask what it meant to the people of the day. In this case, specifically, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. What, what did it mean to them? Think about that before you ask yourself what it means for you and your local group. Secondly, these teachings meant something to the early church. And a good question to ask is why the gospel writer, Mark in this case, thought it would be useful for the people of his day. Why did he write this down? What did he record it? Why did he put it in? What did he think was useful for the early church? If Mark wrote his gospel in the, let's say in the 60s AD, how might this chapter have been useful to them at that time in their context at that time uh, in, uh, in church history, if you like? Thirdly, these teachings mean something to us in our discipleship. Now, Jesus taught many deep things and some things about the future, but in all things, his teachings were meant to help us to live a life of loving God with all we have and our neighbor as ourselves, as we saw in actually chapter 12. So how might this chapter be useful to you and your group in your everyday, day-to-day -day discipleship life? And that question is far more important than whether we've grasped every detail of what Jesus meant by the abomination that causes desolation, false messiahs and false prophets, heavenly bodies being shaken, son of man coming in the clouds and so on. Jesus is not gratifying idle curiosity here for his disciples. He's giving them advice which has spiritual components, practical components, and ethical components. What's, what might that be for you? Fourthly, tricky passages can be clarified by checking parallel passages if they exist. In this case, primarily Luke 21 and Matthew 24. If you're stuck with Matthew on Mark 13, have a read of Luke 21 and Matthew 24 before you come to, if you like, your definitive positions. Fifthly, these teachings can be clarified by resolving what they, in a sense, cannot mean. For example, it's possible that verses 24 to 27 
could be about the second coming of Christ, or it could be about a figurative coming in judgment or rescue around AD, AD 70. It might not be possible to be absolutely certain about this. Different commentators think differently. However, it is clear that the whole chapter is not about the second coming, because otherwise there will be no reason to flee to the mountains in verse 14, or to pray that this will not take place in winter in verse 18. And Jesus would be in error to say, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened in verse 30. So when reading a tricky passage, ask yourself what it is not about, and you may find that helps to narrow down the options for what it does mean. Sixthly, this chapter reflects its Jewish origins and background. Here we have teaching of what you might call, what is called, an eschatological nature. What does that mean? Teaching about the end times. And it's using apocalyptic language, meaning writings that use symbolic or figurative language to describe future divine intervention. As further examples, have a look at the book of Daniel and sections of that book and Revelation. It might seem rather strange to us all this language, but it was familiar to the people of the first century. So you might like to look at those other passages of the uh, Old and New Testament uh, that, that contain apocalyptic literature uh, about eschatological events, and that may help you to get more into it. And seventhly, and most importantly of all, it's all about God. The whole chapter is about God. So when attempting to decipher a tricky passage, we can sometimes lose sight of the point. The Bible is there to teach us about God, about him. And a chapter, a tricky one, teaches us about God just as much as a relatively straightforward passage. In the end, we must ask ourselves what this chapter teaches us about God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when studying a more technical text like this, you might like to do something like write down on a piece of paper, from this chapter, I have learned that God is. From this chapter, I have learned that God is what? God or Jesus is, or the Spirit is, or the Father is. What are you learning? Write it down, take notes, and I think you'll find that rather helpful. Now, let's spend a few moments looking at the detail of the chapter a little bit more in case that's helpful for us in the way we think about things. So now let's have a look in a bit more detail at some of the particular aspects of chapter 13 to see if this might help us understand it better. So there's a lot here about watching out, isn't there? There's a lot about being aware, being awake. And you and I know the value of staying alert. At the moment, we've got the COVID-19 crisis uh, with us, and we are trying to stay alert to not get infected, or at least, or perhaps even not affect, infect other people. But some things are even more important than COVID-19 protection protocols, believe me. And Jesus seems to be saying that here. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's responding to the observation of his disciples who look at the great buildings, who look at the massive stones, and there's a prediction that they'll all be thrown down. And the question is, when and what should we be looking out for? Some of these stones were enormous. They may have been as heavy as 400 to 600 tons each, some of the really big ones. 25 by 8 by 12 feet in size. Herod the Great was building this temple and he died 25 years before this point and it was still going. So this temple construction was was a colossal undertaking as well as these stones were colossal. And if you've been to Jerusalem, you've seen the, the remnants of what's left there of the foundations. It's 
astonishing and I wish I would I'd have seen the original temple but it is incredible how big these buildings are and how impressive they are and so Jesus's response to these this uh, the impressive nature of all this is not to say yep yep pretty impressive his response is to say this is not going to last you need to be ready for when the end of all this that you can see comes watch out for the birth pains of the end what end is this it must be the destruction of the temple, right? That seems to fit with the context. The Jewish wars of the late 60s culminated in the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in AD 70. Jesus has been in, uh, already in conflict with temple authorities. He's saying, well, ultimately the temple's not even going to be here. So get yourself ready for that. Be on your guard, he says, verses 9 down to verse 13. Be on your guard between now and then you will be persecuted. The gospel will spread widely. There's a lot of vision here. The Spirit will help you. You can stand firm, but you are going to be majorly persecuted in the synagogues and outside. You and I are not going to get through the Christian life without opposition, and some of it is going to be serious, and some of it is going to be ongoing, and some of it may be physical, some of it may be emotional, some of it may be in some sense spiritual. We have to be ready for this. And that's why one of the reasons we have our ties are quiet with God is because you never know and I never know day by day whether today is going to be a day when my Christian life and discipleship is just going to be nice and easy and fun and exciting or whether there's going to be major opposition and major challenge. Being on our guard is a daily responsibility, not just when we're in the middle of a, a crisis that suddenly appeared on our doorstep. And that's what Jesus is emphasizing here is get yourself ready now because this is coming. And then verses 14 to 19, when you see that the end is imminent, this abomination, it will be obvious. It could be several things. Uh, Titus desecrating the temple, might be the uh, the occurrence of what's going on here uh, eventually in AD 70. It doesn't may not quite work because it might be by then too late to flee. So that's one of the issues here about the sequence that we've got in these verses. Not sure what to do with that, but the context seems to fit the Jewish wars and the destruction of the temple. Christians, he says, should flee and they should pray. Josephus tells us that so many Jews were crucified at that time, AD 70, that the hills were denuded of trees to provide the crosses. They, they, they cut down the forests to provide the crosses to, Jew, to crucify Jews. It was tough. And of course, the Romans didn't distinguish at that point between Christians and Jews because Christians were seen as a subset of Judaism. And so the Christians were going to be crucified too. He says, run away get and pray and, and leave Jerusalem because as soon as you see these kinds of signs, you need to get going. Then verses 20 to 23, be on your guard. God will look after his people. Don't be deceived by false messiahs. Pay attention to what you already know about Jesus and see whether that fits. Verses 24 to 27, the coming of the Son of Man. We've got cosmic disturbances, which I think there are eschatological language, not meant to be taken literally. The sun being dark and the moon not giving its light. There's a lot of Old Testament uh, language and style here as well. It does indicate that the Christ is coming. This is indeed the same way in which God comes in the Old Testament to judge his people, but also to rescue. So there may be a judgment image here and a rescue image. Is Jesus coming here in judgment on the world or judgment on Israel? Or is he coming to rescue his people? Now, the Christians, maybe a bit of both. It's often the case in the Old Testament. 
perhaps saving his people from the destruction that's going to happen with the, the temple there in AD 70. The sun and the moon are reversing, Genesis 1, 14 to 19. Have a look at that if you want uh, an extra little bit there. Verses 28 to 31, reading the signs, the sign of the fig tree. Uh, what are the these things that he's talking about there All until all these things have happened? This generation will not pass away until all these things. What, what these things? Well, if verses 20 to 23 are the second coming, and then these verses refer to those verses, and then the Jesus would be wrong to say that the generation will not pass away until they will fulfill. Therefore, either the, these things are not verses 20 to 23, but verses 14 to 23, or verses 20 to 23 are not about the second coming, but connected with the destruction of the temple. I leave you to decide what you think about that. And then verses 32 to 37 the day and the hour unknown further admonitions to stay alert he says keep watch keep watch not as an unhealthy obsession with the last day and we can get into that and a lot of people do they're obsessed about what the signs mean in precisely and and revelation tends to come into this and is it the european union is it russia is it america is it china is it apple is it microsoft is it the keep watch here is not meant to put us into that kind of unhealthy obsession, but it's meant to remind us to stay alert and to do the work we've been assigned, to do what we have been called to do while we have breath in our bodies as disciples of Jesus in this world, in this life. When our children became teenagers and Penny and I realized that we'd actually go out together and leave them in the house, uh, the first time we did that, we went out and we had a wonderful time, but around about 10 o'clock, uh, one of our children started ringing us and said, parents, where are you? And they wanted to know exactly what time we were going to get back. And of course, we realized they wanted to know the exact time we were going to get back so that they could run around the house tidying everything after all the mess they'd made while we were out. That's not the kind of approach we're meant to have, that we are to read the signs and then dash around being a good Christian at the last moment. We're meant to, to look for those signs, to know how to react in a spiritual way when tough times come. But we're meant to continue to live our Christian life in a healthy, devoted way in the meantime. The Greek here, uh, Gregorite, meaning to be watchful, became a favorite name for a Christian, which is Gregory. So Gregory means keep, be watchful, stay alert. Favorite name for a Christian, and that'd be great. Might be our middle name, could be Gregory, or whatever the female equivalent is, I'm not quite sure. But that's what we are. We are watchful Christians. We are people who take God at his word, pay attention to what he tells us to pay attention to, and stay alert. We've got in this passage, watch out, verse 5. Do not be alarmed, verse 7. Be on your guard, verse 9. Do not worry, verse 11. Stand firm, verse 13. Flee, in verse 14. Pray, in verse 18. Do not be deceived, in verses 21 to 22. Be on your guard, verse 23. Be on your guard again, in verse 33. Be alert, in verse 33. Watch, in verse 35. And watch, with an exclamation mark, in verse 37. So what do we need to watch out for and be on our guard for? How can we stay alert without being anxious? John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Trusting Jesus means we can stay alert without being anxious. And what helps us to stay firm when we're under attack? Galatians 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Ephesians 6, verse 14. 
Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Or 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm, hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. And what prevents us from being deceived? 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. We need to have the right company around us, the right Christian community. 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Let's not deceive ourselves by downplaying the significance of sin. And Galatians 6 verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, he will also reap. Be careful what you and I are sowing. Whatever some of the trickier issues might mean, one thing comes out very clearly from this passage, and that is the advice from Jesus to his followers to watch out, to stay alert, and there's no need to be anxious. That message is very clear. The question is, what does this mean for you and me and you in your local group? So some questions for reflection. Number one, we have no physical temple to admire in the way that the disciples of Jesus did. But what kind, what kind of temple should we be wearing of admiring to the detriment of seeing God at work? What temple should you and I be wearing of, wary of admiring to the detriment of seeing God at work? Number two, question two. What does it mean to be spiritually alert without being anxious? What does that look like? What does that mean to you? How can we make sure we do that to stay spiritually alert but not give in to anxiety? And thirdly, in what way might Jesus hope you and I are prepared for the future? In what way might Jesus hope you and I and your local group are prepared for the future? How can we stay, get and stay prepared? I hope these thoughts are helpful. If you have any questions, and you probably do, I certainly still do from Mark 13, then feel free to email if you like, malcolm at malcolmcox.org. The next class like this will be on chapter 15. And if you have any thoughts on that or any questions about it, send them to me in advance and I'll be recording that very soon. Well, I hope this is helpful and I want to thank you so much for being with me today. And let's, let's end with what Jesus said. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Take care and God bless you.